Hi, uh, my name is Caroline Rowe, and I'm uh, doing this interview for my guest expert interview project. Um, you can go ahead. Okay, sorry. Uh, my name is Christine Brunsman, uh, and I am being interviewed uh, by Caroline today. Um, do you want me to start with your first question? Yeah, I, I can go ahead. Uh, what is your uh, current position, such as your title, workplace, and your duties? Sure. So I'm currently the program assistant for the state, tribal, local plans and grants division within the National Park Service's Cultural Resources Partnerships and Science Directorate. And primarily my duties include um, analyzing and improving the efficiency, effectiveness, and productivity of the programmatic processes that my division oversees. Um, including nine grant programs such as the African American Civil Rights Grants and Underrepresented Communities Grants. And this accounts for up to $150 million a year in grant funding opportunities. Um, additionally, I handle the day-to-day -day operations of the National Certified Local Government Program. Uh, I'm leading development and creation of a programmatic uh, Unigrid or uh, brochure. Uh, I assist with our social media efforts as a member of the Cultural Resources Digital Media Team and am furthermore working on the research and development of an interactive planning tool using geospatial data to define and facilitate conversations about historic preservation at local, state, and federal levels. Um, outside of those duties, I'm also an active member of the Student Pathways Engagement Committee, which is part of the Innovative Leadership Network and I serve as a co-moderated for the Coastal Fortification Group on the National Park Service's Common Learning Portal. Uh, one uh, a question that wasn't uh, given to you, but how long have you been with the Park Service? I have been with the Park Service in some capacity or other since 2010. I've been in my current position for about six months. Okay. Um, so we'll go on to our uh, next question. How many National Park Service sites have you created social media content for, and can you name these parks? Sure. I've worked on social media content for Dry Tortugas National Park, uh, Little Bighorn Battlefield National Monument, and Custer National Cemetery, uh, the San Antonio Missions National Historical Park, Fort Pulaski National Monuments, and my current position here in our Washington Support Office. I provide assistance with social media for my division as well as my directorate. So that's a total of four parks and two programmatic offices. And then uh, what training have you taken, if any, for creating uh, such social media posts? Uh, I have never taken any formal training for creating social media, but instead rely on my interpretation skills along with my academic background in park management and public history uh, courses like uh, history and digital preservation, I think, have been uh, also advantageous. Okay. Have you taken any of the DOI Learn courses? I'm sorry? I said, have you taken any of the DOI Learn courses on web? I have taken CMS and web management courses, but nothing specific to social media. Okay. Then, uh, what social media platforms do you prefer to use? Uh, so I, per, in my personal life, I use Instagram, 
uh, most often. Um, Snapchat is probably a close second, and Facebook falling behind there. In my professional life, I tend to use uh, almost exclusively Facebook, but but other uh, social media sites as well. And then uh, what platforms, if any, do you wish the National Park Service or um, the sites can use that they currently do not have access to? Sure. So I'd say the, the most important one is probably Snapchat. Uh, the Department of the Interior, of course, does have access, and we have some limited access through that departmental account. Um, but with the, the changing landscape of social media and how, how quickly uh, things fall in or out of favor, uh, my, just my division alone has, or I guess my directorate has, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, and Periscope. Um, and yet of all of those, uh, really Instagram is the most popular and Snapchat is certainly the most popular among uh, younger users, which is uh, initially our intent for <laughs> social media. So I'd say Snapchat is probably the most important thing that we don't currently have access to. Is there a possible push towards allowing for parks to have their own, or is that going to think, you think going to be um, pretty much DOI, Department of the Interior, is going to keep that uh, that that access? Um, I would like to think that eventually parks will be able to have their own accounts. Um, the primary obstacle at the moment is getting an agreement with Snapchat and the federal government, and in the meantime, we have three beta testers, um, GSA, uh, DOI and I forget the other departmental level um, that are that are using it um, in the meantime. Um, but until that agreement goes through, no park and and no uh, other government agency is allowed to use it legally. So I hope it happens. I just don't know how quickly it will happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, considering Fort Pulaski had the um, access to day about. Uh, Month and a half ago, it seemed to go pretty, pretty successful. At least some of the earlier, the earlier posts. Um, you know, um, perhaps what Park Service site has had the most success with this? Um, as the takeover days. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Could could you repeat that last oh. part? Yeah. Um, do you? I mean, I mean, just a kind of a shot in the dark. Um, do you think do you think you know could guess which sites have probably had the most um, attention from it, or at least uh, viewers watching the, the snaps? Well, I think the the sites that garner the most attention on social media also tend to be the the most visited in person sites. So I don't think that's really any sort of a um, extrapolation there. You're looking at our you know our crown jewels of uh, Grand Canyon, Yosemite, Yellowstone, Glacier. Um, the Great Smokies. They're going to have the the biggest viewership online um, in social through social media. But uh, through social media, I think we also are able to garner attention and understanding for a lot of our smaller parks that normally don't receive attention on the national level, and certainly not the level that can be provided to those locations through things like Snapchat and Instagram. Uh, for example, um, a frequent user is uh, George Washington Carver um, near. Um, oh, where are they? In Missouri, uh, Joplin, Missouri. And so when they have, you know, three or 4,000 viewers on a single Snapchat, uh, that's overwhelmingly 
um, larger than anything they could ever expect in, you know, in a single day at that site. So um, I think the, the calling of social media is that it grants us a much broader art audience, both size and, and makeup, than an in-person audience ever could. Yeah, most, most definitely. Um, uh, one last question on the Snapchat uh, front. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in general, with the, uh, the DOI, you have to friend or like, ex get your um, can be accepted by it, whereas a lot of other uh, sites on Snapchat, you can just see the, their posts daily without any problem with the, uh, the ability to do that instead of having to directly friend DOI. Um, I would I would like that to happen. Um, I don't exactly know what all of the the parameters of that are. Um, I don't know the back end of Snapchat well enough to to say either way. Um, but much like on an Instagram, you can set it to to private or public. I think it would be uh, most advantageous for whether it's the department or any single national park. That would you would want that to be something where people could publicly view it without having to friend you first. And we'll continue on with the questions. Um, in your experience, what constitutes a well-crafted social media post? I think the brief answer to that is anything that's well-received. Um, so I think everyone kind of has a different set of parameters depending on what your typical response is um, to various social media platforms. And I think that will also vary platform to platform. Um, but anything that has a considerable reach, likes, views, um, you know, retweets. Um, I think all of those things are are resultant of a well-crafted social media post because that means there was a some sort of response from the public. And of course, there's no reason to do social media if you're not being social. So if there is no response, there is no conversation being created. Yeah. Um, that being said, I guess uh, response-wise, uh, one site I know that tend to not get the best responses when um, you have park service sites use uh, Tumblr or even mm -hmm. the even the National Park Foundation. It depends. Sometimes uh, it basically just uh, images seem to go a lot further than some of their more interpretive posts. I've seen sometimes posts that barely got 10 either likes or free uh, mm -hmm. blogs. So I guess Tumblr is probably just a kind of picky site to use. Yeah, we, we do have a Tumblr here in our current office. It's not very well used. Um, and I, I think it takes a certain amount of attention over some of these other platforms, I think, come more naturally to interpreters and, and other uh, employees within the National Park Service. They kind of fit the interpretation model. Um, but Tumblr is more like Snapchat in that People, people aren't looking for you to stand on a soapbox and talk to them. They're looking for, um, as one of my good ranger friends, Emily Delonzo, would say, more derpy, less interpy. Uh, and, and really what she means by that is uh, the, the interpretive value that we assign to our content doesn't necessarily create conversation or facilitate those connections we're looking for. Um, but by letting ourselves um, have fun with social media, do things kind of out of the box, out of the ordinary, that's really what Tumblr requires. And most of us just don't simply have the, the time while at work um, to, to develop those types of posts that are going to be well-received. 
um, because almost everyone social media is a is a secondary duty, um, if not third or fourthly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I guess perhaps if uh, more parks did more memes. Um, well, for example, uh, Morristown um, National Historic Site or Park. Um, I know with their um, relationship to the Founding Fathers, uh, last year at the beginning of the, the height of Hamilton, they were doing a lot of uh, pretty much Hamilton meme lyrics. And it, it kind of had mixed reviews, I feel, on Facebook. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably, probably would have been probably a little more appropriate perhaps to have put on Tumblr instead of Facebook. I agree. I've also seen a lot of stuff like that from, um, I think it's LBJ, so the Lyndon B. Johnson. I, I, I think it was them. Um, and then places like Mount Vernon, they do a great job of creating memes and then share them on the wrong platform, and they aren't then well-received, whereas things like um, Tumblr, I think, would probably be the more appropriate place. So if you are developing things like that, um, I think Tumblr is the place for those things to go, whereas they're not as well received on some of the more pla- some of the platforms we're more familiar with. Um, what has been your most successful social media post that you have created? Um, so the most successful post I've created um, was something I worked on collaboratively with Kelly Clark, who's the cultural resources manager at Dry Tortugas National Park. Um, and the cinematographer named Nicole Nuremberg. Um, and that, that has reached uh, about 130,000 people um, to date. And it's been around for just about a month, uh, which, is, which is really quite successful, and especially um, from, from my standpoint currently, where most of our posts um, are lucky to see a couple of thousand people. Um, this particular post, I, I think the reason that it was so well received is because it was very personable. It spoke to you um, as an individual and really talked about what it's like to, to work for the National Park Service and, and kind of be a member of the National Park Service family. Um, so along with the, the text that was provided in the post, the, the short video was a great length where it didn't require people to pay attention for too long, but was long enough that it provided some substance to um, why we're such an amazing agency. Then it was um, it was also uh, shared on the National Park Service Facebook page, correct? It was. So of the of the kind of four most successful posts I looked at to to get some numbers in preparation for this. Um, all of them had been shared by the National Park Service's main Facebook page. Um, so I think that also just is, is kind of brings awareness to the fact that anytime you're looking at something that has a, a, on a national level, the response is going to obviously be much greater, which is also, I think, part of the current success with the DOI Snapchat strategy in that it's a national platform that's being given to, to smaller parks who, if they had their own Snapchat, probably wouldn't have that sort of reach. Um, but in the meantime, um, certainly does. So whether it's the Department of the Interior that shares a post or the National Park Service um, or even the National Park Foundation, uh, when those things happen, uh, you're given a, a much larger platform than, than what you could hope for on an individual level for the most part. Yeah. Well, that being said, um, the National Park Service uh, Facebook site has over 870,000 people that uh, like the site, so 
your mm-hmm. post reached about one eighth of them, so that's those are some uh, pretty good numbers. As mm-hmm. compared to say if the say if the National Park Service site hadn't shared it, how many um followers do you have on the uh, the site that it was posted to? Um give me just a second and I can probably tell you that. <laughs> uh, uh, I just found it. According to Facebook, it has around uh, around 8,000 people. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So much, much, much larger reach, definitely, by having the the Park Service share the the main sites, share the posts from the individual sites. Absolutely. And and I think the way what can be be advantageous in that is that some of the things you're going to post really aren't going to be interesting on a national level, but when you have that, um, when you have the attention of something that could be worthy of, of sharing with everybody, uh, the Park Service certainly has that that audience that, that we don't, although there are probably certain parks that, that rival, if not exceed, uh, what the National Park Service as a whole has. Um, and that's, that is speculation, but it's simply an assumption. Our page is also working on growing. Um, since I've been here, we're, we have had, you know, 50 to 100 new followers every week, which I think is pretty impressive. Um, and that's sh- that speaks not only to the, to the type of content that we're, we're creating, but the, the diversity of that content and, and the regularity in which we're posting. Yeah. Then how long has the uh, historic or heritage and historic preservation page existed on Facebook? Mm. Um, I don't. I don't know. Is the short okay. answer. Um, do you know if there's a way to look that up? Um, I'm looking at Facebook right now, but I don't know. I probably have to scroll through every every post on the page. Yeah. Um, not quite like a personal pages where you can find out pretty much when they joined. Yeah. But, uh, but eight thousand eight thousand likes for um, for a non park service site is really pretty good. Mhm. Well, park it, it's park service program. It's just not a park park. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I mean, there's um, because Park Service has quite a few um, sites for non, non his or sorry, non National Park Service sites, but programs or like regions. Like I know the um, Midwest Regional Office in Omaha, they have a, a site and they've um, they haven't been on um, too long. I know the um, the guy who's in charge of doing the Facebook posts there transferred from Harrius Truman left just less than a year oh, ago. Oh, there. Okay. So when I said LBJ earlier, I really meant Harry Truman. Okay. Um, yeah. Now that you've said that, yeah. So, um, yeah. and they've they've had a really great reception both on Instagram and Facebook with some of his posts. Yeah. 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 Harry Truman, I think that's one of the the better sites um, interpretively within the National Park Service at the time when uh, when Matt, I believe his name is Matt Turner. Was there mm-hmm. at the site now that he's at the Midwest Regional Office? He's definitely mm-hmm. increased the the likes on their page that they previously didn't have. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. We'll go on to our next question. Um, do you believe in well-produced interpretive content? They may not get as many page likes as say 
something that's kind of cutesy with no interpretive value? Um, so, so this is kind of going to be a two-part answer, and the first part of that is I think even cutesy things can have interpretive value even if it's not the traditional um, interpretive value we might see produced in, say, a ranger program. And what I mean by that is you can certainly elicit emotional or intellectual responses from things like sunset photos um, where people develop a relationship with a site that they've never been to through um, cutesy photos, memes, um, or just generally beautiful landscapes. Um, so, so that's kind of my first caveat. But secondarily to that is I think the well-produced interpretive content is just as, if, if not more important, than, than just kind of throwing things out onto the social media world. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we should strive for um, heavy content over reach and access because, um, of course, that kind of creates this, this need for balance in something that it has value but also um, provides us with that audience that we're looking for. So I, I think both are important. Um, and finding that, that perfect middle ground of something that's interpretive and cutesy, um, whether that's actually cutesy or not, um, but something that's, that's publicly attractive is, is important because simply sharing information in textual format is not gaining the, the access or audience that we're really looking for and therefore is of very little value on social media. Um, and do you have any um, possible examples offhand you can think of where um, you've created a post that you thought was going to blow up and do awesome and then it barely went anywhere? Um, I will. I actually I'll say that the, the one that's been my most successful so far, I was I was I planned on that being very successful. I had intended for, for it to be very successful, and it took about two weeks for the Park Service to share it on their page, and I got kind of upset about that because I thought it was really well done. Um, mm -hmm. Not that it didn't receive a, a good amount of attention outside of that anyway, um, but that, that waiting period was a little bit harrowing. Um, but there have certainly been other things in the past. I don't know that I could recall something uh, – off the top of my head um, that didn't do as well. Um, but there are certainly um, pieces of content that, that you know, you think are funny or engaging or really interesting, and then nobody likes it. And I think at that point, it's not necessarily going back to square one, but it is going back to the drawing board and trying to figure out where you failed to connect with people. Um, and sometimes that, that involves talking to another coworker or talking to a member of the public or just trying to reconfigure what it was you were trying to, to say or convey in that message and um, kind of taking a step back and figuring out how it could have been um, better received. You know, was it because there was too many words? Was it not explanatory enough? Did it just simply go out at a bad time of day? Cause that also, you know, there can be a huge impact um, that I've noticed, um, especially in, in Instagram before they implemented this new, um, oh, what is it called? 
Um, the algorithm, the new algorithm for Instagram that I'm really not excited about, but it is what it is. Um, up until that algorithm existed, it was really, really important to send out um, photos at particular times of day when they were best received as opposed to other times of day where you might hardly get any attention. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then um, just an example for posts I was surprised about uh, when I worked at Pipestone National Monument, I didn't have an idea for a post, did it last minute um, before leaving for the day. Uh, it was uh, simple, it was, uh, it was Throwback Thursday, it was a historic photograph of the park in the 1930s. And I mm -hmm. posted out uh, National Monument was the oldest and the first National Park Service site in the state of Minnesota. Um, at the time, I think the page only had like 500 likes. Mm -hmm. It uh, reached by over 2,600 people because I guess no one in the state of Minnesota knew about it. And so it had well over, uh, well over like 100 plus likes. And that was a bit of a surprise because I wasn't expecting it to get more than like 10 to 20 likes. So you never know. Yeah, well, I'll actually say that the one of the things that really surprised me that was well-received was the last, um, I think it was Memorial Day, um, Amber had sent me a, just like a snapshot of a, the flag from her cell phone. I, I was like in a parking lot in the middle of a of a, of a hike on like in the trail, on a trail in the woods and stopped and wrote this post and, and posted it for Fort Pulaski. And the National Park Service site shared it, um, and that was very unexpected. And I think in retrospect, I would have spent more time writing, editing, verifying what I had written if I had expected it to, to be as well-received as it was. So, And I think that's uh, kind of like what you're talking about, evidence of geographical appropriateness or timeliness can have a big impact on uh, what kind of reach your social media is getting. And then uh, our final question, uh, do you think the National Park Service is going about the right way to create content, uh, meaning is the National Park Service attracting and maintaining followers to its fullest potential? Uh, no. Um, I think we're we're trying. We're working on content. We're working on attracting a new audience, but um, one of our problems is simply bureaucracy, and we don't have the capability to move and evolve with new social media platforms as they uh, become popular. Um, but the other part of that is that uh, whether it's the people that manage our social media or just managers in general tend to be older people who don't think social media is important, don't understand social media, and once they've gotten comfortable with something, probably Facebook, they just want to stick with that and they don't think that anything else is important. And by the, the lack of movement and the obstinance in staying put, I think is really, really um, bringing down the potential for not only attracting an audience, but then maintaining that audience. Because if we're looking to to reach out to a more diverse world um, by sticking with the same types of content that we've always had, you know, just in person, and sticking with single platforms is, is not going to be helpful. It's not the way to reach people. So I guess I should say that we have made some important steps. We are at least now on social media. 
Um, but I think we have a, a, a much greater way to go before we're, we're truly fulfilling the idea here of garnering a new audience. And some of that, I think, is direction at the national level, um, but even more so that's just management on an individual park or program level. Yeah, because I know um, what the Park Service has. Yeah, was it? Am I a little off? Three hundred, like three hundred million visitors a year to our parks, or mm -hmm. and yeah, uh, not not everyone has to obviously be on on, on Facebook, um, but yeah, just for like the main main Park Service site to have less than a million uh, a million likes seems a lot. I mean, compared to say, oh, um, I guess any entertainment. Site, you're looking at millions of people that like it, and yet we have millions of people that come to these sites, and yet, yet they're not necessarily liking um, or following as, as much as you would think they would. Exactly, and I think that's um, lack of promotion of our social media and just a failure to engage. Um, so uh, being as popular as we are, we we shouldn't be struggling to reach the, an audience online, and yet we are. And I think that can, is also part of the failure in our centennial com campaign in that, yes, we attracted even more of the same types of people to our national parks that have always come to our national parks. But I don't know that we can, we can truthfully say that we've reached a newer, more diverse audience because our two – um, two of our centennial ambassadors, celebrity ambassadors, are Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's a, you know, a white male, and um, Bella Thorne, who's a white female. There's not a whole lot of diversity going on there. And instead of engaging their audiences, which is, would have perhaps been the most appropriate thing to do, we used them to talk to the audience we already had, and that was not well-received at all. Yeah, I just did a, a quick uh, peek at some of the larger parks. Like uh, mm -hmm. Glacier has just over 500,000 followers. Grand Canyon um, had around, the same, I think, the Grand Canyon. Oh no, actually, Grand Canyon had uh, had less uh, likes than a Glacier, which I thought was surprising. They have around 347,000, and then I think the largest probably is Yellowstone at just under around 800,000 as well. So yeah, many sites have a million or more likes, which is really rather surprising for, for them. I'm sorry, can you say that? Which which sites have more than a million? Uh, I said none none that I could find, oh. which compared, I mean, considering some of them have, um, yeah, have, I mean, if you look at the, the stats every year, um, I think, what is it, Blue Ridge Parkway is, I think, the most visited National Park Service uh, site? Great Smoky Mountains. Oh, Great Smoky is, Mountains, okay. Yeah. Because um, Blue Ridge Parkway um, has only sorry, the Smoky Mountains has just shy of 600,000 likes, which for having they had like 11 million visitors last year, that's mm -hmm. kind of pitiful. <laughs> yeah, that is that is kind of um, that is those are pretty low numbers. And right now on their site doesn't show me how many people um, have checked in, but normally you always have more, a lot, oftentimes more check-ins than actual actual likes that site. Yeah. 
you know, I think the parks have, have a great opportunity to use social media as part of their interpretive plan, but most of them aren't doing that yet. And the slower we are to catch up, um, the more behind we'll be, which is kind of self-evident. Um, but if I think if we continue the trend that we're currently in where we kind of ignore social media or we treat it as, um, you know, a, a secondary an optional thing rather than a mandatory thing that's a that's an important part of a robust interpretive program I don't think we're going to make any improvements yeah well I think also that the fact is that yeah most parks can't afford to have someone dedicated to just um, social media it's yeah, often a kind of an afterthought like if well, you have time I, enough. I think that's a self-fulfilling prophecy where mm -hmm. if you don't spend the money on social media you don't see the benefits of social media and therefore you're going to say you don't have the money for it. But there's really not nothing stopping any park from taking one of their 090 or 025 rangers and saying your job is now social media. You are not going to do any in-person in interpretive programs anymore. Now that person can still do um, you know, informal interp and roving because that could all be part of your social media content creation and management. Um, but unless you're a park that only has one person in your interp division, which there are some, you know, mm -hmm. you're really, it's really the park saying this is not a priority for us. Um, and when you look at numbers, that sure doesn't really make a whole lot of sense um, because social media reaches a lot more people, period, even if you don't look at the, the makeup of those audiences. Um, and in, we're, we're not using that to the best of our advantage. Yeah. And then right now with um, pretty much uh, Joel, the acting chief of Interp, has had pretty much passed the social media gauntlet to me. And every time I, I do rope, I try and take uh, a camera or something with me so that way just in case there is something worth photographing and putting up on Facebook, I have that ability to do that mm -hmm. uh, after a period of roving. So. And you never know, sometimes you'll find, yeah, random wildlife that just happened to pop up on the trail while you're trail roving. So that's um, so that's the the one right. really ideal time to be able to gain um, content for, for posting. Exactly. Yep. So, having to multitask. So. <laughs> Always. <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. All right. Well, uh, thank you for messing uh, with this interview and providing your insights into uh, uh, creating social media content with the uh, National Park Service. Sure. Uh, just let me know if you have any other questions. Um, in the future, yeah. or if anything isn't clear. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I will go ahead and end this recording. So thank you. Yep. Thank you very much.